It was a classic uh, Christian thriller published in 1986 that made the name of Frank Peretti kind of a household name among many uh, evangelicals. This Present Darkness was a novel based in a small town called uh, Ashton. And the novel approaches the story on two fronts. You had the physical world where you could see with human eyes the actions and consequences. But then you also in the novel had the spiritual world where the action that you saw occurring was because of a raging battle between the forces of good and evil occurring in the supernatural realm. And Peretti, in, uh, in this novel and in his subsequent novel, showed us the necessity of understanding spiritual battles and the importance of our prayer in those battles. And this morning, we're going to look at the, uh, the text in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, where the title of this present darkness came from. And we're going to see what the Scripture says to us uh, as believers about the battle that we face. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6 at verses 10 through 18. Before we jump in there, let me mention there are two primary er errors that happen uh, when we talk about spiritual warfare. The first is you have some folks and, and some denominations, uh, faith groups that overreact. Uh, they see everything that happens in life, whether it's an illness or a conflict or a problem, everything is related to demonic activity and, and demons need to be cast out. But the other extreme is those who completely ignore the spiritual realm and overlook biblical teaching about the war we're in with the powers of darkness. Now, obviously, there needs to be a balance. And if you want to look for balance, you can find that in our Lord as you look through the Gospels and how he dealt with the circumstances around him. Sometimes you see that Jesus simply healed people. He brought wholeness to them simply by healing them. Other times... Uh, he had to cast demons out of people to bring healing. So there's a balance there. And the reality for us in the church today, not just our church, but, but the evangelical church today, the reality for many of us is that, that we err on the side of ignoring the fact that we're in a spiritual warfare. And, and we forget that there's an enemy and we need to be aware and prepared uh, for the battle that we're going to face. So let's look this morning at Ephesians 6 in uh, verses 10 through 18 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. This is not the only place in Scripture that spiritual warfare is mentioned, but it's probably the, the most clear and concise teaching about spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, if you're reading through the New Testament with us uh, this year... In the past week, you, you have read through the past week and a half through Paul's entire letter to the Ephesians, and, and now he's wrapping it up here in chapter 6. 
And he starts chapter 6, uh, verse 10, with what word? Finally. Now, that's the word, when you hear the word finally, that's the word that, that snaps you out of that semi-comatose state when the preacher is droning on and on. That's the word when someone says, finally, it tells you that they're giving a summary in, uh, statement, and what's about to follow is very important. So let's think about what Paul has told the Ephesians through this letter. He's, he's given them instruction. He's talked to them about their salvation. He's talked to them about their, their service to the Lord, about unity among the body. He's talked about God's power to strengthen them, about their need to be more mature, to be more like Christ. He's talked about God's desire that they be light in the darkness. And then these previous couple of chapters before Ephesians 6, he's talked about relationships, about human relationships, marriage and parents and children and slaves and masters, or you might say employee and, and, and employer. And he's talked about how they conduct themselves in those relationships. But after saying all that, Paul is emphasizing that, that people are not our primary problem and, and struggles um, about what we see and what we experience are on the human level are not our primary problem. And he's saying, look, we need to find a strength beyond ourselves if we're going to survive. And so he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now the verb there, when he tells us to be strong in the Lord, the, the verb is a passive verb, meaning that strength is something that's put on you. It's something that is, is done for you. You can't make yourself strong. Only God can make you strong, but you do have a part. You do have a role. You do have to to work with him and participate with him, but he's the one who's going to make you strong. How's that going to happen? Verse 11, he says, you need to put on the whole armor of God. Now, while strength is bestowed on us by God, in this case, the grammatical voice of the verb tells us the responsibility is ours. God doesn't put the armor on us. We have to choose to put on the armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Your translation may use the word the wiles of the devil. The wiles are tricks or traps that he sets before us. Paul says you need to be aware that the devil is scheming against you. It, it's not a hit or miss thing. It's not just blindly throwing a dart or, or firing a shot, but Satan, his schemes are very methodical. His schemes are very systematic. His approach is very strategic. It's a very orderly approach, step-by-step, uh, step, a plan to destroy. And, and Satan has a very specific plan to destroy a very specific person, you. He's got his eyes set on you. He, he's got your number. Satan and his, his, his minions are like an opposing football team. They have watched the game film. And they've watched it over and over and over so that they know everything about you. They know how you, how you operate. They know where your weak spots are, where your blind spots are. And they have a plan that is very strategic. Listen, we, we can't take this lightly. We can't afford to be unaware, to underestimate the enemy. We have to be vigilant. We have to be constantly on guard. That's what Paul is telling us here. Now, again, remember, immediately prior to this teaching, Paul was talking about relationships. You know, sometimes when we get into relational distress, whether it's in our marriage or with our children or with a, a, an, a, a person we work with, a coworker, a neighbor, sometimes we forget that there is an element of spiritual warfare to that. Satan is always seeking to divide and to separate, and we need to be aware of that. Satan loves 
to, to devour. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter said, watch out. Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he loves to devour and destroy, especially in the area of our relationship. So we can't afford to minimize Satan. We can't afford to see him as a cartoon character and not take him seriously. We have to understand the nature of the battle and how serious it is. But at the same time, if we're in Christ, we don't have to live in fear. When we obey God's instruction, his strength and his power is going to be at work in us. And when we obey and we're strengthened by the Lord and we stand as he's called us to stand, Satan cannot overcome us. Well, look in verse 12. Paul begins to get into the, the nitty-gritty of our warfare. He says we wrestle. Think about the word wrestle. It's, it's hand-to-hand combat. It's, it's up close and personal. Satan is, is not waging just a, a blanket war against all mankind. He is waging an individual war against every child of God. We wrestle. And look what he says. Our wrestling is with evil, supernatural beings with authority and power. Now that's important to remember because if we understand that we're wrestling against evil, supernatural beings who have power, then we recognize that we can't fight the supernatural with our own abilities. I wouldn't show up for a nuclear war with a spear. And that's about how effective we would be in our own abilities against Satan. We have to fight the spiritual with the spiritual. Look what he says in verse 13. Therefore... What's the therefore, therefore? Well, I've told you this is a spiritual battle you can't fight humanly. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Your human strength won't work. Your only hope is in the armor of God and the strength of God. So he tells us about that armor. Verse 14, to stand firm, you have to do what? Fasten on the belt of truth. Again, this is an action you have to take. God is the one who's going to strengthen you only if you take the actions he's called you to take. Fasten on the belt of truth. You know, in the Roman army, the Roman soldiers wore a belt, and that belt was used not only to hold their equipment in place, but when they prepared to go into battle, they would tuck their uh, clothes into that belt. And the idea was that they had to be ready for strenuous activity or strenuous labor. They had to be ready for battle. And what does he say the belt is? It's truth. Well, what truth? Well, there's only one source of truth. Boy, we live in a day where more than ever there's confusion about the truth, isn't there? You hear this here, you hear that there, you read this there, a friend tells you that. God's word is absolute truth, and if we're going to be able to stand against and defeat Satan, it starts with knowing the truth. We need to understand that Satan is a liar. In fact, the scripture says that he's the father of all lies. What do you think for just a moment? What's the very first picture we have of Satan in the scriptures? It's in Genesis chapter 2. And he's lying to Eve. If you're not going to be taken out by Satan, then you'd better know the truth. What are you going to say when Satan tells you, it's okay to take that, you deserve it, it's rightfully yours? What do you say when he says, look, it's just one little lie, no, no harm, no foul? What about when Satan tells you it's no big deal having sex outside of marriage? What if he tells you, hey, you don't really have to follow that rule, your parents don't know what they're talking about? He's the father of lies, and we have to know 
the truth to be able to stand against those lies. Well, he says, fasten on the, the uh, belt of truth, and then look next, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covered the chest or the vital organs uh, of, of a soldier. And what the breastplate of righteousness is for us is remembering that if we have come to Christ and we have placed our faith in Christ and made him Lord and Savior, we've been justified, we've been made right with God, and we've been sanctified, therefore we are righteous. If you're a child of God, you have the righteousness of Christ. Now, why is that important? Because Satan is going to try to accuse you. Revelation 12.10 says he is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to try to accuse you that you're not righteous and cause you to lose heart and tell you that you're unworthy and, and defeat you before you even get into the battle. The righteousness of Christ that you have helps protect your spiritual life and helps you to press on and not give up because you know that you're standing in Christ. By the way, I should probably mention as we're talking about the battle and Satan coming against us that any time we act unrighteously, it provides an opportunity for Satan to invade our hearts and try to defeat us. We are righteous, and so we need to live righteously. Look at verse 15. He says, you have shoes for your feet, and what are those shoes? They are the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers had uh, shoes or sandals that had cleats in them so that when they planted themselves for battle, they were firm. They were standing firm. They wouldn't fall over. They wouldn't be easily pushed down, but they were planted and would not be moved. Your stability and my stability comes from the gospel, from what Christ did on the cross for us, from the peace that he brought us. And I would say to you this morning, if Satan is causing turmoil in your life and he's attacking, you need to remember the mercy and the grace that God has given you. That's what the gospel is all about. And whatever he tells you, you need to stand firm. You need to remember that Christ who saved you is going to be the one who gets you through. It's what Paul said in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're going to make it. You need to stand firm. You need to know that you're not going to get run over. You're safe. You're sound. You're on solid ground. Verse 16, he says you need to take up the shield of faith. What is faith? Well, faith is believing God's truth. And it's demonstrating you believe the truth by obeying it. Satan is continually going to be firing temptations at you. The, person, the, the purpose of the shield the Roman soldier had, it was about two and a half feet wide, about four feet tall, where he could hide himself completely behind it. And it was covered with fur that would often be soaked. And so when fiery arrows were fired from the enemy as they would hit that shield, they would be extinguished. And so the shield protected from the fiery darts uh, of Satan. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have faith? Are we going to believe Satan or are we going to believe God's truth? When Satan fires temptations and tries to get us to do things that are disobedient, are we going to believe what God says? Eve believed Satan's lie that God did not want the best for them, that God was withholding from them. Eve didn't have faith. In God. You know, when temptation strikes, if you focus on and act on truth, you can easily extinguish the temptation before it leads to destruction. You know, when you're tempted and you think about what God's word says when temptation comes and Satan fires those arrows, those darts at you, you could say, yeah, that sin would be pleasurable, but God's word says that Pleasures last only for a season. 
or with the shield of faith and, and having faith in the Word of God, you can say, you know, God's Word says He's going to judge all the immoral. God's Word says He's going to bless my obedience. God says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love Him. The shield of faith enables us to take the truth and believe it and trust God with it. Let me tell you one other thing about the shield of faith before we move on. Sometimes the Roman soldiers, if they were in formation and the enemy was shooting arrows, they didn't shoot the arrows straight at them. They shot them up high so that they would rain down on them in between their ranks. And so often the soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder and they would put their shields up where their shields overlap where those arrows couldn't rain down. You know, it's important for us as we think about having faith and walking in faith to have brothers and sisters in Christ that we are walking with, to remember that we're in this together. We're strengthened by each other's faith. Well, in verse 17, he then says, you need to put on the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? It protects the mind. It, it protects the thoughts. Your thinking needs to be guarded. The battle starts in the mind. You've got to clearly understand the gospel, what, what God has promised, what he said to you regarding your salvation. You have to focus on the victory. If God is able to save you from sin and from death and the grave, then he has the power to deliver you from the attack of Satan. God has already delivered you from the penalty of sin. God can certainly deliver you from victory and give you victory over the evil one. Finally, he also says to take up the sword of the Spirit. And this is the only offensive weapon. Everything else at this point has been defensive. The sword of the Spirit is the weapon for offense. And by the way, the word sword there does not mean the long sword you typically think about, but the word sword there is actually the word for a, a short dagger. Again, it's a weapon used for hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is going to be up close and personal. And do you recognize that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is a weapon that Jesus used when Satan tempted him? If you go back in the Gospels and read about the temptation of Jesus, every temptation that Satan threw at him, Jesus defended with the Word of God. He always started with, it is written. Listen, we've got to use the Word of God in our battle. If we're going to use the Word of God, we have to know the Word of God. We have to know how to handle the Word of God. It's so important that we spend significant time in the Word to be able to handle the spiritual battle that we face. Back in the late uh, 90s, there was an article that appeared on the internet, and it was a page taken from the uh, Peace Corps manual, which was written back in the 1970s. In the 1970s, according to this article, the Peace Corps had a section in their manual that they gave to volunteers going out to serve, and that section was on how to survive in, in forest, in jungle. And one part of that was how to survive an anaconda attack. I want you to listen to the, uh, the 10 steps that they have in surviving an anaconda attack. Step one, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Step two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against each other. Three, tuck your chin in. Four, the snake will begin to nudge and climb over your body. Five, do not panic. Let me just pause right there and say, at that point, I will not have survived an anaconda attack. and I've already died of a major heart attack. Step six, the snake will begin to swallow your feet first. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. When the snake has reached your knees, reach down, 
take your knife, slice it, slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg, quickly rip upward, severing the snake's head. Step nine, be sure you have your knife. And step 10, make sure your knife is sharp. Now, it actually came out later that that was a hoax. The, the Peace Corps does not have that in their manual for volunteers. But I love that story because of step nine and step 10. Be sure you have your knife. Make sure your knife is sharp. That's the challenge for us. If we're going to do battle with the serpent, with the evil one, with the devil, we need to have our sword and it needs to be sharp and we know how to use it. Finally, in verse 18, Paul says, wraps up this with, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. You know, you wouldn't get dressed for battle and head out into warfare without communication with your commander. You've got to know the battle plan and the strategy. What does Paul say? Pray when? At all times. Prayer should be woven into every part of our life, not just when we're in trouble, not just when difficulty comes, but continually we should be praying. And then what does he say pray? Request and supplication means urgent request. We need to pray about everything. There are things that to us seem small and same things that seem large. Paul said you pray about requests and you pray about urgent requests. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament and study the nation of Israel, when they fought battles, anytime they went into battle in their own strength, they always lost. They were dependent on the Lord in their battles. That's true for us as well. We are totally dependent on the Lord if we're going to withstand the attacks of Satan. What does prayer do? Well, prayer acknowledges our dependency on the Lord. Prayer enables us to hear our commander and to obey his instruction. And then prayer ensures the victory. Well, what a great word today from Ephesians chapter 6. What a great reminder for us. If we've forgotten or, or if we just haven't paid attention to it, we're in a warfare. It's probably more clear in our culture today than it has ever been that there is a spiritual warfare going on. When you look at all the division and all the devastation, there's no doubt that Satan's behind all that. And as children of God, as believers, we need to stand firm in the strength of the Lord. And we stand firm in the strength of the Lord when we put on the armor of God and when we pray consistently that he will lead us.